Hello and welcome to this episode of the Dicebreaker Podcast, which is sponsored by Rogue Heroes Ruins of Tassos, the new game from Team 17 and Heliocentric Studios. It's now available on Steam and on Nintendo Switch. Rogue Heroes mixes classic adventure gaming with procedurally generated dungeons and roguelike gameplay for up to four players. I mean, we could all play it right now. There's four of us right here through online or local multiplayer. You can choose from multiple player classes. You can team up with friends to combat procedural dungeons. You can explore an expansive overworld full of secrets you can rebuild your town upgrade your character's abilities and take down the titans to save the once peaceful land of tassos for a limited time and this is the exciting bit dicebreaker podcast listeners can get a 10 percent discount for rogue heroes on pc by visiting the team 17 store at store.team17.com and you can use the code dice 10 that's d-i-c-e yeah, D-I-C-E-10. Yeah, that's right. I said it right. I did say it correctly. <laughs> to be a rogue hero. So go on out, get yourself a code, grab yourself a copy of the game, and we'll see you there, hopefully. Hello, and welcome back to the Dicebreaker podcast. This is episode 48. Lolies. Well, okay, if you're a fan of the podcast <laughs> and you're a fan of bingo calls, you may have Seamless. noticed that there is a uh, pattern that happens every 12 numbers. And that oh, has no. been that it goes a dozen, two dozen, three dozen. So the bingo call for 48, you guessed it, is four dozen. They wow, don't. that's very useful. Very useful piece of information, bingo. Thanks this for that. This series of podcasts has has completely reshaped the way I view bingo. Because <laughs> yeah. I always thought they were meant to rhyme. I was like, that's, yeah. that's what bingo call is. Little nifty yeah. rhyme. Nifty's maybe overstating well, no, it a bit much. I remember rhyme. W- one of the most famous ones is Two Fat Ladies, right? 88. Oh, true, yeah. Which is also not very nice. So. No, yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. All right. Well, welcome back, everyone. Yeah, welcome back. Uh, I'm Matt Jarvis, of course. I'm the editor in chief of Dicebreaker. I'm joined this week by three of the team. Uh, I'm joined by Alex Lolies. Thank you for being here, Lolies. Thank you for having me once again. I'm back, baby. Was I here last week? I don't think I was. Yeah, I think you were. Oh, I think it was okay. you, me, and me. <laughs> but you're back yeah, again. Maybe it's been a whole week, but I'm back in the zone. Look, we're very I'm glad to have you here. Sh- I'm fairly sure it was Will's last week because we were talking about Danny DeVito again. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I mean, I can't like, believe you've forgotten this world. Like bingo calls, every four weeks we must discuss Danny DeVito. <laughs> or I remember the phrase "hanging dong." Yeah, oh, you I said that, that a lot. Look, if we could before. keep the dong to just one episode, <laughs> that isn't a contest. Sorry, Matt, it can't be contained. Like now, we have to mark ourselves up as a very different kind of podcast. We're allowed uh, one dong per episode. Although now I've gone over the, the limit. Well, I mean, I've been watching a lot of YouTubers get sponsored by Adam and Eve recently, yeah. so maybe we carry on down this train. Like Big Ben, we have one dong an hour. Uh, also here, Alex Meehan, Thanks for joining us. I'm here. <laughs> Great, uh, and of course, uh, Michael Wills, Wheel and Wills, and I am also here. Yeah, <laughs> Michael uh, Wills, Wheel and Wheels. That's a I'm new running one. out of variations on Wheels. Yeah. I, it, it was well. I was going to say it was funny at first, but it wasn't very funny at first, and now it's even I less funny. But I'm, I can't wait for I've wheels, committed. Michael Wheels, Wheel and Wheels. <laughs> <laughs> wheels. I just want to. I'm waiting for Hot Wheels. 
Mm. Oh, Hot Wheels yeah. is good. That'll yeah. be summer. For a long time. That'll be summer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When, when it starts getting a little bit roasty in here, I will be a Hot Wheels. <laughs> this, flat, this flat does not cool in the summer. Uh, this podcast is not sponsored by Hot Wheels. Uh, not yet. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Get in touch, Mattel. Got, Mattel. Don't just let them come to yeah. you. Sometimes you got to yeah. put the feelers out, you know? Yeah, that's true. I, that's that's how it works, right? Is you start just mentioning things, and then they, they're obligated yeah. to sponsor they just you start and give you money. money. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> Um, we're of course here to talk about this week's board games, tabletop RPGs, all things what go on a table, um, or kind of more likely at the moment, sometimes a screen as well. Uh, let's kick off by, or let's kick off with even what we've been playing this week. Uh, let's go in reverse order. Wheels, what have you been playing lately? Well, Matt, you should know because we together played Lost Cities. Yes, we did. Um, for anyone who's not aware, we have a new series on the on the YouTube channel called You've Never Played. Which is kind of like a, an excuse for us to go back to some of the classics, some of like the the big name games that we wouldn't necessarily mention because you know we're keep, we're keeping up with the fresh modern yeah. board games. The we're hot down with ones. the kids, exactly. Mm. Yeah, how do you do, fellow kids? We play board games too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is a chance for us to kick back and look back and see some of the fantastic uh, previous titles um, that have existed and that some of us for some reason haven't got around to play. This case, it was uh, Lost Cities by Rainer Knizia. Rainer Knizia, if you're not familiar with him, the king of maths. Yeah, he's made the um, bad boy. One thousand billion trillion board games. Yeah, yeah. The main it's... fact about Rainer Knizia. I, I think. I think the fact is, if you stack every game that Rainer Knizia has ever made on top of each other, it like reaches the sun or something like that. I think that's the. <laughs> he's the bad boy of tabletop. That's all you need to know. <laughs> that's what they call him. He wears these cute little bow ties. He does. He's not a bad boy. He's, he's yeah. a sweet boy. He's a. He's a great great guy um yeah he's very nice he's a good boy but anyway lost cities um is one of his games it's got a very loose theme matt yeah it's it's very knitsia-esque in that way of clearly the gameplay uh came first then they were like what should this be about well, archaeology yeah that'll do put that on it <laughs> yeah why not yeah i quite like the knitsia-esque is like kafka-esque in which you know you can just apply it to anything. You just sound smart, but in board game terms, <laughs> that's what that's what I do. Is I just put esque on the end of random words, and that makes me sound ten percent more. Intelligent. Yeah, it's very Matt Jarvis esque. Actually, yeah, thank uh, you. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's it's basically like a it's kind of like a gambling game almost. So you're 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 starting each round with um, like five colors in front of you, which represent the five suits. Um, there's basically imagine a deck of cards, but they've added another suit on top. So you get ten number cards and then three cards, which in this case are called wagers, but would be you know your jack, queen, or king. Um, and essentially, you're trying to play them in a in ascending order, not mattering about the gaps as long as the next card that you play on the same color is a higher value than the one that you played before. And then at the end of the round, you collate all of the values of the cards into one sort of score, um, and then you score that many points. The trick being though. Uh, this sort of stack of cards that you're forming in each color is like an excavation. Um, it's like it's like a dig that you're paying for, and you need to pay for those. So you actually only turn a profit on those digs if you score more than twenty points. Um, otherwise, you start minusing points instead. So I think is it that you if you say you scored fifteen, you would actually lose fifteen rather than gain it. Is that the idea, Matt? Yeah. So as soon as you put any card on a dig, it's worth minus 20 points and for each card you play the value of that card is added to that so you need to play yeah. a total right. of cards yeah. worth 20 or more points 
Yeah. Um, but just... if you play eight or more cards, it's worth twenty by default. So you then right. I just remembered that I have I have actually played this. It's so... good. It's really good. Um, <laughs> Quite a few years ago. So yeah, yeah, no, I remember enjoying it. So you, you basically you have a hand of cards, um, and it will be you know in different colours with uh, with different values on them, and you're sort of waiting for the perfect moment to play that card. And the the theme that really gives it that, that little bite, just that mm. little mm, mwah, mm, tasty, knish, mm, but makes it real just a little knits, mm. <laughs> just oh a little little knish, um, is <laughs> is that you you get these cards called wages cards, which I mentioned earlier. They can only be played at the start of a run. Um, so they have to be the first thing you play. There's three of each color, and you can play as many of them as you as you can, uh, if you so wish. But with each wager card that you put down, it's basically a double or nothing. So you double the value of the of the dig if you get it into the positive numbers, but you also double the amount that you'll lose if you don't. So you actually like if you start a round and you've put down a couple of wage cards but no numbers because we played it on board game arena it gives you live scores. <laughs> Me and Matt were on like minus one hundred and seventy four, mm. minus one hundred and six. It's like um, so you've got like a ridiculous amount of uh, of damage that you could deal to yourself by doing that. But you can only hold so many cards in your hand, so you either have to play a card onto one of your runs on your turn. Or play it in the middle where the other player can grab it. So you're always sort of waiting for the the best moment to be like, no, okay, now, now I'm going to start the run. Now I'm going to put my wages down. I'm I'm banking on red. And then that's when you find out that the other player is holding all the red cards. Um, but it's <laughs> yeah, it's it's really good. It's super simple. Um, when we first explained it, I think Matt was like, uh, it was, I think you said something like, by explaining it, I've made it sound more complicated than it actually yeah. is. Like yeah, as soon as you start playing it, you'll be like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah. Um, but you could play it with a standard deck of cards. Like I said, it's it's just five seats instead of um, four, so you could probably just give it a go with a deck of cards. It wouldn't be quite the same because there's not as many cards to choose from. But you know, I think it's really good. It's really fun. I, mm. I had a really good time. So it. who hadn't played um, it? I haven't played it, and I I won Lolis. Mm. <gasps> he did. He, I think Spoilers. you pulled it around in the last round as well because there were three rounds, mm. and it was it was pretty tight knit by the second round. But then you really you pulled ahead in the last round, so yeah. I just drew like to four tens <laughs> in my hand, so I was like, I hold all the power. Because <laughs> if you can play like I don't know a ten and two other cards above like a four, then you're basically or you're, you're almost there anyway, right? So um, once you've got the ten, you're sort of, sort of halfway to making money anyway. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I really enjoyed that. Good little blast from the past. This running against these lost cities. I also played um, and Lolis, if you so wish. I think we should probably give the demo for the second edition a try. Summoner Wars uh, by Plaid Hat Games, um, which is one of my favorite games of all time. It's getting a it's getting a reprint. It's getting a second edition. Mm-hmm. It's got brand new art, brand new factions. Mm-hmm. It's got revamps of old factions. Um, it's a really really good like card game mixed with a tactics game. Um, and I showed that to Johnny. Uh, we had like a sort of um, you never played where he hadn't played it, uh, and it's really really good. Uh, every time I play it again, I'm like, oh god, I love this game. I wish I could play it more. So the fact that it's getting a new edition is fantastic. It's also got a digital edition, yeah. so it's gonna be even easier to play yeah. online. Yeah. So um, we can play that demo if you feel like it, ladies, for a little video. Yeah, let's do fun. it. I'm, I'm yeah. in. Yeah. The there is yeah there is the demo available for people who subscribe to mm-hmm. the. Uh, they've got these pre-order options, and there's two subscription ones, where if you if you get those, then you get access to the free demo on the online version. 
Um, I think I think you can play the demo because it's a demo, right? So I think you can play the demo, whatever. But you can play the digital edition of the game if you subscribe or something. I um, think it's like four quid a month. Yeah, I, 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 again, maybe maybe I got this wrong, but I'm fairly sure on the announcement it said if you want access to the demo, you need to get a subscription first. But like, don't. Count me on that if I'm wrong. I well, we've got we've got it. it looks like we've got it coming yeah. up on this, as a news story, mm-hmm. so we can we can check. Yeah, it you can check. You can check there. Um, no, I I'm interested in looking at it. I've not played the first edition, and I think the art for this one looks really nice as well. Um, mm. It's by the person who did Crystal Clans, and yes. they've got a few other artists involved too. Um, and yeah, I really like. It, I know it's not a deck building game so much because I think you make your deck beforehand, but I do like cards that games that combined cards with like other mechanics. Um, so in this case, the card playing with the area control. Hmm. I've just clicked on the demo. It can confirm you can play the demo for free online. Uh, it will blast you with very, very powerful music. So be careful for <laughs> <with> that. <laughs> oh, well, I was wrong. <laughs> right. uh, is that what you've been playing, Wills? Uh, yeah, it's just those two. All right. Uh, let's move over to Alex Meehan. What have you been playing? Uh, I've been playing... Uh, terraforming Mars, more Terraforming Mars. I talked about this at length last week, so I won't go into it too much. But um, yeah, it's a really good game. The digital app is just great. Like, it works really well. Sometimes it can be a bit glitchy, but it's not like anything you can't solve by just cooking in and out of certain aspects of it. Um, I came a second this time, so slowly moving up the ranks. Out of how Maybe many? Next- <laughs> Uh, out of four? Okay. Out, out of two. <laughs> <laughs> you think I was going to say two? <laughs> Did you go with a particular corporation this time? Because I think like last time, because I played with you last time when we were both new, and there's like oh. a beginner corporation that's kind of nothing fancy, just gives you a load of cards. Did you try like a different corp this time? Yeah, I went with the Helios one, which is, um, it allows you to use heat uh, for as basically currency uh and when you play as one of the other you know corporations apart from the beginner one you can choose cards right at the beginning so it gives you like a certain amount of money that you can spend from like right from the off you're you're already sort of narrowing down like okay this is what i'm going to go towards for this game you know this is gonna this is how i'm gonna get my victory points so like the majority of uh my victory points i got from uh, I got a really good like combination of animal cards like in my draft, so I got ones that com- kind of combined really well with one another, uh, which give you victory points. And then I just sort of really focused on getting as much heat conversion as possible, turning that into raising the temperature and improving my terraforming rating. And I also got one of the milestone. Uh, one of the awards you get at the end. I'm trying to remember whether they're awards or milestones, but um, which gave you uh, points for having the most heat production. So I kind of really zeroed in on that, and I was very. It was very close. I think I was like four points away from from the winner, something like that. Um, so yeah, I really like that game. I like how 
you know, the first few sort of turns force you to shape, like, okay, this is my strategy for the rest of the game. Like, this is kind of what I'm going for. Because you just can't, like, spread yourself too thin in that game. Because you just won't get anywhere if you do that. You need to, like, focus on your strat. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I played that, it was really good, and Lolis and I played a game, uh, this week, um, from the designer, uh, for Cosmic Frog, Jim, what's the second? Jim, Jim. Jim. Felly, I think. <laughs> Jim Felly, I think oh, is the yeah. designer of Cosmic Frog. Jim Felly, thanks Matt. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, they showed us, um, the new game, which is called the Mirroring Mirror. <laughs> Don't put this bit in. The Mirroring of Mary King, wasn't it? To be fair, that's yeah, like, I find it very hard to say. Stuff. Yeah. Okay. I'll I do mean, that about again. tongue twisters, because that is. No, I I struggle to say that because I struggle to say R's. Uh, so that's a lot of yeah, R's same. in there. The Mirroring for Mary King. Right. Yeah. I'll give that. I'll give that another go. Um. And that game was called The Mirroring of Mary King. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's fine, what's it It's, it's not, good. it's, that's not an easy title to say. <laughs> it's, it's not easy to say that title. people deserve to know this title is difficult. <laughs> I've been, I've been practicing that in the mirror all morning. That's the only reason I can say it. <laughs> the My Mirroring broken, of Mary King. The Mirroring of it's Mary yeah, King, like, the Mirroring of Mary King, the Mirroring of Mary it, King. Yeah. yeah. Red, red lorry, yellow lorry. Oh, God. <laughs> My broken mouth can't say it properly. Um, yeah, it was a really interesting game. It's a two-player game, specifically. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of based off... Was it like a Scottish legend? Yeah. Sort of in Edinburgh? Yeah. Um, he was saying that... Um, yeah. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a street. There you I have think it, folks. I think it, there's a street in Edinburgh where people believe that there is a ghost. Mm-hmm. Like uh, a haunted Mary, world, yeah. Yeah, called Mary King, who kind of haunts that street. So the premise is this woman called Mary King. Mary who, King Close. Uh, yes, who is apparently a descendant of this ghostly woman, has wandered down this alleyway and found herself... Uh, being possessed by uh, this ghostly woman Um, and so one of you plays as the ghost and one of you plays as the mortal Mary King King. yeah Mm. and um, the like you both have the same cards you both have you know you don't have different abilities it's literally just um, so there's these tiles that kind of make up the game board and they're double-sided and each side has uh, part of a portrait of either the mortal Mary King or the ghost Mary King. And so depending on who you're playing, you want to flip those tiles, all those tiles to match either image. Um, and that's kind of one way you can win the game, but there are kind of multiple ways that you can, you can win. Uh, because you play using this deck of cards and there are cards called control cards which flip the different tiles on the game board Um, flip meaning flipping them over onto the other side Uh, and there's also I think that are they action cards yes action cards please Mm -hmm. Um, and 
those do all sorts of different things so they're like ability cards mm -hmm. and so every you know each player has their deck of cards um and uh like every turn they can use a certain number of control cards to flip over tiles on the the game board uh or they can use their action cards they can also buy cards that are kind of in a marketplace um that both players can access uh, and use those as well uh, and then at the end of that player's turn depending on how many of the tiles like um an area of tiles is sort of matching your picture the one you want uh the your opponent has to discard a certain number of cards um and so that can potentially lead your opponent to either running out of cards which wins you the game or once the game kind of reaches five days so five rounds um it ends and then the winner is whoever has the most points from the cards they have remaining in their deck and the number of tiles that they've managed to flip onto their chosen side. So that's like a very broad overview of mm. like what you do in the game. Um, it was very interesting, wasn't it, Lolius? Because we had two subsequent matches yeah. where like the game ended after like first it was two rounds and then one. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the, the second game, I think I was trying to play it. I was trying something a little bit different from the first game. Um, I just wanted to, you know, play with it and, and see what would happen. And um, it, what I did was bad, but also I think you just happened to have, like, a good combination of cards and you played them in the right way on your turn. That, um, yeah, me and me and won the second game after her first turn. <laughs> just like... <laughs> yeah, Loli's... Loli's won the first game after your second turn, mm -hmm. didn't you? Yeah. Um, and you did a very similar thing to what I did, which is there are certain cards that allow you to um, force your opponent to flip one of the t their tiles um, like that you, you can choose. You can tell them, okay, you have to flip this one. Um, and there's also like cards that allow you to put like locks on yeah. the, the different tiles to stop them from being flipped so like one of the big like kind of strategies where you found was on your turn if you can play one of those cards that locks certain tiles you can play a control card that would otherwise like really not benefit you um that would force you to flip tiles you don't want to flip because instead of you doing that you just remove the the locks that you've put on those tiles and they stay unflipped. Mm -hmm. So like by combining the the lock card with like a certain con like control card, you can basically get the board like looking exactly how you want. So that's sort of what both Lolis and I did. We played like that in succession. Mm -hmm. And then I played the same card that Lolis had played, which was the one that forces your opponent to flip one of their tiles of your choosing. And then that basically just won me the game because I I like had the all the tiles on the side that I wanted, but then the third game we kind of like went through the entire five days, yeah. didn't we? We um, went down to the, like the the win condition that was like it was kind of like the final win condition, which was if you play it to the end, counting the mm, the cards in your deck and flipped up. And I think it was quite close, wasn't it? It was um, we, it was very close. Even that game, that could have been either of our 
Could've yeah, I think it, yeah, I think I won by like two points, something yeah. like that. But um, it was very close, and like playing that way meant. So in the in the last like few days of the the match, um, you you are cannot play as many control cards on your turn. So like as you go through each day, it lowers the amount of control cards you can play until like the last day you can only play one. It's like the, I think it it, the the whole theme is like that you're kind of fighting for sanity, um, and that's what the control kind of element of that. Yeah, is. yeah. Um, but then the amount of card that you can buy is upped um, as you go through each day. So it kind of gets you more opportunities to, you know, grab that one card that you think, okay, that's going to help change things for me. And it kind of makes things a lot more tense and, like, desperate. And... He's also on top of Rosie. Yeah, they were curled up next to each other and he's just like, oh, I should lean on this. <laughs> you know, <I'm> just... <laughs> um, yeah, like, we, I, I had a good time. It was a, it was a good game. Like, it was... It was engaging i think there's quite a bit of luck involved like that's what we had for the first two games because we just drew the right kind of cards mm-hmm. um but there is also a plenty of strategy that you need to do to like make sure that things go your way both with the tiles and with the card draw like they're both they're, they're two things that interconnect but they're also two things that you need to keep separate tabs on yeah at the same time. I think it's um, um it's quite a, a quick game as well. I mean, obviously the first two games we finished quite quickly, but even the final game that we played the whole way through, I think that was less than half an hour that, that playthrough. Yeah. And I mean, like considering that we were still kind of like learning some of the, the abilities and stuff on, on some of the cards, I reckon you could probably like whip, whip through that game in 20 minutes, no problem. Um, Did it feel... Yeah. Cosmic Frog, which was your favorite game of last year, mm-hmm. Lolis. That, that that wasn't super complicated, but this sounds like it's much more simplified than that. Is yeah, that, do you I think mean, that's fair to say? Cosmic Frog, I think, wasn't like mega complicated, but I think it was. There was more to it, like there was uh, more layers, I guess. This is like um, the Mar- marrying of Mary King is definitely. I think it's what I was saying to Jim at the end was that it's um, it was really easy to pick up. Like I pretty much like understood from the get go what we were doing. Um, it's also the kind of game that I would teach to people who like friends of mine who don't necessarily play board games. I think it's quite quite an easy one, as I say, to pick up, and it's um, yeah, just very straightforward and kind of makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's um, very like user friendly, I guess, or like player friendly. Mm. It's a cool theme as well, having like a possessor and possessee mm. kind of relationship. Yes, yeah. I I would say I'm kind of in a bit two minds about it because on the one hand. Um, <laughs> there's more cat shenanigans going. Um, uh oh, oh god, here we go. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, there's some sort of brawl going on on the bed. Um, <laughs> this is why I try and shut them out when we're recording the podcast. Goodness me! Place your bets, everyone. <laughs> I'm gonna try and ignore it. It's <laughs> gonna be hard. I apologize. Um. I'm on two minds because on the one hand like um, I kind of feel like with having a possessor and like a victim I kind of feel like the game would really would be really cool if like each player had like 
different abilities or different goals or something. Very asymmetric. Yeah, I, I think the theme lends itself more to an asymmetric kind of game because as soon as, like, as soon as, you know, Jim said, oh, it's about a ghost and this woman and the ghost is trying to bless the woman and you're trying to fight them off. Like, I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. Like, I, I can't wait to find out what the ghost does and what the, the mortal does. And then when, you know, when he was like, oh, you both have the same decks and access to the same powers, I was kind of like, oh, okay, that feels mm. like you're missing out on an opportunity there. But on the other hand, I feel like the game would be potentially a lot more complicated if it was asymmetric. Yeah. <clears throat> and like the fact that you have access to the same cards, the same decks, the same abilities, like that does make things a lot more straightforward and therefore it's easier to learn and like the games are faster. Uh, so on the whole i think like the game is really good i just feel like the theme maybe could have gone a bit further if it had been even slightly asymmetric in mm. terms of uh playing as the different characters um that's my thoughts well so this was like a, a relatively early prototype right do we know yeah, when it might be he coming said out or? he was about 90 what was it he said about 96 oh, okay. percent wow. of the way down. yeah it's mostly artwork That's very just, specific yeah it was, it was quite a specific just, number i think it was just the cards it's just the, the artwork. artwork for the cards yeah. oh, okay right so it. mechanically it's it's locked in basically if i yeah. had to give a rough yeah. estimate i'd say i'm about 96.742 <laughs> no i think he, he that's as specific as i can get it sounded Sorry. like he'd done quite a lot of uh game testing already and he seemed yeah. pretty happy with with the mechanics and, and how it worked yeah. um, he, i mean he was asking us for feedback still as well but um uh yeah he said he he did say he was about 96 i think it was 96 wasn't it, it was 96 percent. i think he said yeah yeah it was something like that it, it definitely high. seemed to be very close to completion so obviously changing something as fundamental as like making you know the game asymmetric like that's not gonna happen unless suddenly four percent <laughs> yeah suddenly you was like oh, screw it i'm gonna completely change it but like like there's there's obviously another game can be like that but i don't know that's just that was my reaction to when he said, oh, there's a ghost and there's a mortal. I'm like, oh, how is this going to be different? Like, how is the is the ghost going to kind of, like, focus on, like, possession techniques, whereas, like, the, the mortal might try and focus on defensive. Maybe the, yeah, maybe the ghost is more aggressive and the mortal is mm. more defensive. Maybe I've just been playing too much Root. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I just want every game to be asymmetric now. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, if that's all you've been playing, lowlies. Okie dokie. Uh, other than the mirroring of Mary King. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, everyone's just showing off now. <laughs> I'm so bad at saying that. <laughs> the mirroring of Mary King. Um, <laughs> it's easier to say it when you say it like that. Anyway, um, I yeah, I played that with, with Mian. Um, I played a couple of games, uh, big potato games that I had. A friend of mine really wanted to play um, some card games, so I, I brought out a big stack of them, and I was like, pick your poison and they happen to go for a couple of big potato games i have um one, one of them is dino dump which is like a kid's skin version of uh Shahed, which is a game that most people Whoa. Think it's the name of the game you could call it poop head no i can't it's the name of the Although Lolis does think if you put an E at the end, it's not. Yeah. It's not. It's not. Well, don't say it. I specifically <laughs> It's not. Or do you mean shitheady? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we played that. Um, uh, as I said, it's just a reskin kind of kids' version of, of a game that, I mean, I grew up with um, 
you know, playing with my cousins and stuff. Um, we played a game uh, which they brought out last year, twenty in twenty twenty, called PS for Pizza, which is a a word game where uh, you flip over cards and the cards will have like three different sections and there's like letters and that correspond to different uh, words that are on the cards and then you have to say something. It's kind of a little bit like Anomia, I think. Where it's like, no, Anomia doesn't have letters, uh, yeah. does it? But it's kind of like that, both extra yeah. kind of letters um, involved. So that was quite fun. Was there any pizza? Oh, it's it's in the in shape the of a pizza, and then you're trying to create like a giant pizza slice with your winning, oh. winning tiles. It's Knizia esque in that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, you're thinking of you're thinking of Walker Harding. He made a New York slice, right? No, that's not. Uh, Isn't that Walker Harding? No, I think that's someone else. Who am else. I thinking of? Is that is it Reiner Knitz? But I can't remember because there's piece of cake or piece of cake. And then yeah, yeah, it became piece of cake, but I swear it started off as New York Slice. I don't think it's Walker by... Harding though. Genuinely, <laughs> quite a funny thing. If you don't know who designed something, is it you, like the best bet is to say Reiner Knitz? Yeah, yeah. It's like... Jeffrey D. Allers did New York oh. Slice. No, <gasps> you know um, who, why I'm getting confused because I think. I think uh, Walker Harding talked about piece of cake, and I got confused with that. Did sushi go? Another, yeah, he did just sushi go. Specialise in edible games. <laughs> I wish I could have eaten it. Anyway. Anywho, also played Monopoly Duel. Um, wait. Oh, she's been excited. Yeah. <laughs> Which is uh, like a card game version of Monopoly. Um, and I was a bit like, mm, I don't know, that seems weird, but it was quite good. It was it was quick. It was very simple. Uh, you just had to like uh, get three sets of properties, and different color properties needed like different size sets. Um, it was yeah, pretty simple. I won the game, so that was good. <laughs> I'd say Monopoly Deal is the best Deals. Monopoly. Was, was yeah. it Deal or Duel? It I think it's Deal. At least uh, the card game I've played is Deal, but I I think, don't, that was I think about 15 years ago. So Deal makes more sense. I was When I said Duel, I was a bit like, wait, hold on, is it a two-player version? No, I, I would absolutely deal. play Monopoly Duel, to be would fair. You? Would you? But yeah. Deal is it's surprisingly good, right? It's like I think because it's much shorter and it is mechanically nothing like a Monopoly, <laughs> it just happens to be dressed in the Monopoly clothes. Mm, that's the secret sauce. Mm. <laughs> but it, it's, yeah, it's kind of like a set collection game. And it's just, it is, like you say, it's it's super luck driven, but it's kind yeah. of, it's really take that -y is what I remember of it. Maybe we were just really mean. But... It is like, no, it is, it is because it's like, you've got cards where you can like take people's sets away and um, it, stuff yeah. like that. Um, they've, keep, they've kept it mean-spirited. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. That's the real heart of Monopoly, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, and you can you still, you can still people down. earn like rent and stuff as well on your properties. But it's it, you play a card to earn rent rather than them having to land on your properties, obviously. Because there's no board, it's mm. just cards. Um, yeah, it was pretty good. I was uh, pleasantly surprised. Would play again. It was quite quick as Ooh. well. Yeah, it was like, I think, maybe 15 minutes or so. Something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so I played that, and then um, I played a game that uh, I mean I I didn't really make it up. So there was a show in the fifties called What's My Line that I'm obsessed with. It I'm obsessed with. Um, it went it ran from the fifties till the seventies, and it's on YouTube. Like you can watch it on YouTube. And it's all like black and white. Um, it's really I just love the show because it's 
like proper old American TV, like everyone's just like dressed up in glamour and they're just really polite to each other and call each other like Mr. and Mrs. blah, blah, blah. And um, it's a show where um, they get like a guest on and uh, that guest has obviously a job. And then uh, the panel of judges who are celebrity judges uh, each get uh, like turns to ask the person a question to try and narrow down what their job is, what what's their line. Um, and they can ask as many questions until they get a no and then it moves on to the next panel person and it keeps going like that um uh. and uh, and they they can do it until they've gotten 10 no's or until like there's a guy who kind of a host his name is mr daly um and he is there to like um chat to the guest like in terms of if something's a bit unclear they can kind of like um co- uh confer and um <laughs> And also sometimes he's like, you guys are miles away. We're like, just give up. And then he, <laughs> he flips the board. Oh, but, uh, for no, <laughs> no, no, you're never going to get this one. <laughs> yeah. But it's, um, it's really interesting. Oh, sorry, I didn't realize we had idiots on the show today. <laughs> it's really, it's a really great show. It's like 20, 25 minutes or something. Um, and like, there's like ads as well that sometimes play and like ri- oh, ridiculous. That's yeah, that's great. Um, yeah. It's sponsored by Kellogg's and stuff like that. Um, and I really enjoy it. So myself and my friend who've been watching it, um, just started playing it ourselves like obviously we like instead of using our real jobs we uh, just like pick a job and then we we play it like that and it's um it's been really good fun just like yeah really simple you can play it when you're on the belt so <laughs> it reminds me of um oh sorry Matt, you carry on no you go first uh, well i was just gonna say there's this one of my favorite twitter accounts is called accidental <laughs> partridge which is when um they basically they post clips from like tv where someone it looks like they should be pretending to be Alan Partridge but that's just who they actually right. are uh, but there's there's this clip of this like old game show um, where it was like they, they go through someone's house and the contestants have to try and figure out who the person is based on the tour of the house right. so it's kind of a similar thing but they've got this clip that's where the, like they just they just the finish hole, up Sorry? It's like through the keyhole. It's like a through classic. Keyhole, am I just I, re- am I like the like old the, person of the it's group? It's a clip now? from like the eighties or nineties. So like oh, I was, oh yeah, the I far from the far from past of the nineties. Yeah, yeah, I was like, very young didn't exist at that point. I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so like they they finish up the thing and they're like, "Well, here's his house." It is. <laughs> just like it's like bum bum ba bum bum ba to this married couple that just comes up with a lower fur that says former Iraqi hostages. And it's like whoa, what? Jesus! <laughs> it's the most. I will, I will send it to you all after this. Yes. It is so good. Like it's just one of those things where you're like, this is already ridiculous, but what a punchline! <laughs> so, Lolis with. Uh, what's is it what's my line what's my line yeah do they do they get to look at so they're trying to guess their job right yeah is it just questions they ask or do they get to look at their hands and things like that um yeah they do that at the beginning some in some episodes i think i don't know if it's the earlier seasons or the later seasons but they do that at some point where they um they shake their hand and they can like look at their hands and stuff at the beginning i don't think they've done that always uh, yeah, because they can see, like, you know, if they've got, like, rougher hands or anything like that. Mm. And they also, um, when they come in, um, the way that they come in is there's a blackboard and they, like, sign their name as well. Um, huh. It's really sweet. And also there's a mystery guest. So at one point, for one round, the panelists, like, put a blindfold on. And um, the mystery guest who's a celebrity. So there's, like, Frank Sinatra, Muhammad Ali, um, just, like, oh. all these really, like, classic um, celebrities from the 50s and 60s. Um, 
I can't think of anyone else, but there's really great ones. Um, I, I can see their faces, but I can't think of their names right now. Um, uh, oh, oh, um, what's that actor? Um, Wheels, I feel like you can do a really good impression of him. He's like the English guy and he's, um, he, he's like in Batman. He's like the... the Michael Caine. Michael Caine, yeah. He's like Michael Caine <laughs> from like the 50s or something. Michael Caine. I don't know. Like... <laughs> It's so I mean, good. to be fair, you got he Michael. Was in Batman. <laughs> what? Oh, he's still no one after me. No. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> what did I do? It's... Um, well, we did do a Michael Caine impression recently. I yeah, I don't remember why either. I was like, I feel like I've heard Wheels do an impression of Michael Caine, but I don't know why. Oh, this has gone so off the rails. Like, there's See, no way it's ever going to go back. That's anyway. all right. I can save it. So the reason I asked is when my wife and I were on our honeymoon um, uh, the year before last, we were we went to Italy, which was very nice. Um, and we were in Rome. And we, in the evenings, we became really fascinated by an Italian TV program. Uh, neither of us can speak Italian, so we're kind of guessing at what was going on. But it was that they were guessing someone's job, and they would look at their hands and like look very close up at them and oh, kind no, of examine. Like they were able to go around, and then their bonus round wasn't celebrities, but it was someone who it's like they bring five people out, and one of them is related to the person. So you have to try and work out who's <laughs> related to them. But we could only understand about 5% of, of what was going on because it was all in Italian and neither of us speak Italian. Well, it's like, but it's it was like fascinating. From, um, what I Lie to You, isn't it? Where they, they yeah, yeah. Out, yeah, and each one's got a different story of how they're related to yeah. Yeah. or something. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it sounds like the elements of that show still exist in modern TV. Yeah. It's not yeah. the exact show. It's, it's the great. It ran, like... for, it ran to like the 70s, to the mid-70s, I think. Although I, I was watching some of the 70s and it's got different like, hosts and, and uh, panelists and it's not as good. The Italian host reminded me of like an Italian Jasper Carrot, um, which then reminds me of Golden Balls, which was a hilarious British game show that somebody just broke at some point because they like meta gamed it. Yeah, (laughs) and we're just like, look, I'm gonna, I'm taking this regardless. If you also, you know, I'll split it with you. And Mm. after that, I think they had to basically pull it because the the whole prisoner's dilemma was broken. Uh, But all right. if you if that's all you've been playing, Lolis, which sounds like quite a lot, uh, we should also probably uh, just make note that Lolis used to work for Big Potato. Yes. Um, for some context, um, there we go. Uh, I have played, which is useful because it transitions us straight into news. I have played the this year's As Door winner, uh, Micro Macro Crime City, which I was not playing because it won the As Door. Uh, I just happened to be playing it, and then also it won the As Door. Uh, I want it, Matt. I so really want it looks it. so um, good. <laughs> It's really good. Uh, the Asdor, for those who aren't aware, is kind of like France's board game of the year. Um, it's to France what the Spiel de Jahres is to Germany. Uh, it translates to Golden Ace, I think, and it's been going a couple of decades or or maybe more decades. Um, but like the Spiel de Jahres, it tends to be like a family weight game, so something pretty accessible, easy to pick up, uh, which Micro Macro fits into very nicely because mm. Micro Macro is essentially Where's Wally? But with horrible crimes. Horrible <laughs> <laughs> crimes. Um, so it is a game that features a large poster map. It is a very large map. Uh, it was too big for our coffee table, so we ended up just putting it on the floor. Uh, oh, wow. And it is a black and white uh, cartoon illustration of a city. The crime city, if you will. Um, 
Full of these, like, I, Just delightful... a quick question. Hello. Like, would you willingly move to a place called Crime City? <laughs> like, this is a... Maybe it's ironic. It's like Hell's Kitchen, you know? It's yeah. like um, Midsummer Murders. Oh, wait, no, that's it's not, not the name of the place. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hello there, welcome to Midsummer Murders Village. <laughs> never mind, never mind. But it's a, it is, it's a strange thing because it presents itself in a very friendly cartoony way all the inhabitants are kind of like they're kind of half animals half kind of like vegetables they're humanoid so they're walking around and they're you know little business suits and driving cars and things like that but they've got like carrot noses or kind of like elephant ears or um like trunks and things like that it's it's a really nice style it's black and white um Animals and, and plants finally found a way. It's probably to, a really bad description of it. Um, reproduce. Some of they them do of look like, like humans, like but a Cartoon Network show character. That's yeah. a really good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so what you do is it's kind of like a blend of Wes Wally or Waldo if you're in the US, and something like Waldo. Waldo. <laughs> uh, I mean, Waldo makes more sense because Oddlaw is Waldo backwards, but it was originally Wally, so I don't know where Oddlaw came from or their Waldo is Oddlaw backwards. Anyway. Um, the how you play micro macro is you have a case um as in like a case file and it consists of about five to ten cards and each card is kind of like a mini puzzle to solve so it'll be like okay and they're all like kind of horrible crimes it's like someone's been shot dead in this square who who did it who done it um so you start by searching the map to find the square and you'll find like a tiny little cartoon corpse um and because the map is full of these, almost every like little bit of space you go over, there's someone dead there, or there's someone crashed through a window, or there's someone being poisoned, or it's it's weirdly macabre. Um, but you like a horonous botch painting. Yeah, I, it, it's packed with detail, and there's loads of little Easter eggs. Um, but you you find this, and then you flip the card over and compare the coordinates um, before you read the bit of text that then leads you on to the next bit of the case. So you make sure that you've found the right thing. And then it might be, okay, who shot them or who followed them there? So the way the map works is the same person can appear multiple times. It's almost like multiple different points in time plotted on a single picture. So you can follow them from being dead in a square to trotting across the map. So it's like, okay, they came out of this subway over here before they trotted across and got shot. Follow the subway back to the other subway entrance, follow that back to the house and so on. And you'll get these cards and you'll just turn over each card as you solve each kind of part of the mystery. And they get quite complex. Um, like the, Without spoiling anything, the first kind of couple of cases is they're kind of quite um, localised. So you're only probably looking at like two or three squares of the map. But then, like I say, later ones will have you kind of checking different subway stations and tracking them across, you know, the expanse of this very large poster. Um, and it's really, it's really good fun. Um, I think the way they, it looks fantastic for a start. Like the, the art style is very, yeah. um, like strong. I think it's good that it's not in color because it actually makes it easier to kind of pick out things. I think if it was in color, it would be very overwhelming. Um, it does come with a tiny little magnifying glass, which is quite cute. Um, <laughs> and the cases are fun. They're quite difficult. We've only uh, got up to kind of three star out of five star difficulty so far. Um, but they were probably taking us uh, maybe closer to half an hour to solve. Um, so I'm interested to see how difficult they get later on. 
I think there are 16 in the box. That's my one kind of question mark about the game is there's probably not loads of replay value because once you've solved them, you've solved them. But I think 16 cases in there, they've put out some for free on their website as kind of like mini puzzles. And on the back, it kind of suggests, oh, there are some that you can just find if you look across the map. There are some we haven't mentioned mm. in the cases. So it feels like it's, like I say, it's packed full of stuff. There are loads of little Easter eggs and half the joy of it is scanning across and you'll just spot little things here or there. And it's like, oh, we found the point where that hat was taken or we found the point where they changed from riding in a car to riding on a train or anything like that. But I'm really, really enjoying it. Uh, and I think it is deserving of winning the Asdor to bring things full circle back to news. Um, <laughs> because there will there'll be some people who are like, ah, it's not really a game, it's more of an activity. But I think it's as much of a game as something like Sherlock Holmes' Consulting Detective is. Like, it's it's about the storytelling, it's a puzzle. It's, you know, you're not aiming to get points or anything like that. But, you know, it's like an escape room in a box. It's It fits in with all of those. Um, it's kind of perfect at the moment, I think, for folks who are at home. Because um, you can play it by yourself. As just You can play it like a puzzle that you just did by yourself. Or you can um, play, it, play it in a group. Um, I've been playing with my wife, so there's just two of us kind of pouring over this map um but i've never seen like i said i can compare it to where's wally and i can compare it to sherlock holmes consulting detective but i've never seen a game do this kind of thing before and i think mm. it's a really smart and well executed idea hmm. yeah i really love the look of it there is actually a, <laughs> yeah, another thing that we can tease as well i think me and lolis are planning on playing the online demo that as well mm -hmm. um, because that is another thing that you can do because unfortunately it's sold out from what we can find um because i'm desperately after a copy because i love the look of it yeah um, yeah me and too I'm, I'm obsessed with sherlock after after playing through that as well Stunning. so um yes more of that please yeah the online demo is really good it's not it's a separate case to the game um it's kind mm. of its own map and there's also a puzzle like a mini puzzle on the box art if you go and yeah. find the box art online you can just do the one on there as well which is they're clearly think, having fun with it yeah, well, I think the idea is that like if you're in a game shop and you pick up the box, it's like, hey, play this right now. Like you don't yeah. you don't need to sort of look up online. Like you can just give it a go straight away, um, which is a really really cool thing. Yeah, but yeah, looks amazing. So yeah, that uh, like I say, that picked up the main kind of Asdor Award for Game of the Year, um, and then in the expert category, so similar to the uh, Kennespiel de Yaris. Um, it was the crew again that, with the crew. Yeah, so the Why? the crew yeah. which won <laughs> which won the Kennespieldiaris uh, also won the expert award at the Asdor. Um, uh, we've mentioned the crew plenty of times on this podcast before. We love it. It's yeah, it's great. Not an expert game. Like <laughs> I think here it makes more sense because compared to something like Micro Macro, you can see that kind of like there is like a a step up. It's not a huge. Mm. void of kind of difficulty or complexity but there is a, a shift there but yeah it's i i do think any awards to pictures that's the main thing yeah, <laughs> yeah main that was the big hoo-ha last time yeah i think yeah describing the crew as expert is a strange one i i don't think awards like the asdor or the kenish bodyaras are mainstream enough where it would put people off but i mm. do think that there is the risk of people looking at it going, oh, we got the expert award. It's maybe a bit too much for me. And I mm. I, I think for most people, the crew is, it's as difficult as a like yeah. a playing card game. It's not. Yeah. 
but yeah, it's nice to see it kind of recognised further because it's a great game. Yeah, yeah, it's a great game. Uh, and then there was also the Kids uh, Kids Award called Children's Game of the Year, which went to Dragon Dragomino. Um, I I saw the cover for that and I was like, oh, dragon, not drag queen. That's very. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so, a spinoff from King and Queen Domino, right? Yeah, which is uh, odd in a way because King Domino was already quite kid friendly. Yeah, like but it's not Dragon super complex. Domino is but... like baby bab. Yeah, okay. it's baby 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 dragons. Um, yeah, so there we go. Let's whiz through to the next news story because we're running behind. Um, <laughs> Who would have funk it? I'm shocked. <laughs> uh, Chase covered this one. Magic the Gathering uh, had some announcements last week, this week. Uh, what is time anymore? Um, but Magic the Gathering is crossing over with Lord of the Rings and Warhammer 40,000. Yay! 40, Yay. Um, <laughs> so the Washington, uh, sorry, the Wall Street Journal uh, originally broke this. Uh, before it was officially announced. <laughs> was it the Wall Street Journal? Maybe I'm misremembering. Hold on. No, it was the Wall Street Journal. It was the Wall Street Journal. The Wall Street Journal. Wow. It was part of a wider thing talking about there's uh, restructuring going on at Hasbro because basically right. D&D is very popular at the what? moment. Yeah. So they're restructuring the company to make D&D and Wizards um, like a very distinct thing and try and replicate that across the rest of the company. But as part of this, Magic the Gathering uh, is getting a new series or kind of franchise called Universes Beyond, uh, with the so first generic. two, the first two including uh, Warhammer 40,000 Commander decks, um, so for the Commander format, and a Lord of the Rings expansion. So this follows, um, was it last year? I think it was last year, there was the Walking Dead cards that came out through the Secret Lair uh, kind of drop, Yeah, um, which were put plainly not super well received so this is an no. interesting one um but this is kind of uh what's the coast of magic the gathering kind of you know getting in on the pop culture crossover stuff which seems to be everywhere at the moment um so it's basically said that these will be kind of their own sets in a lot of ways um so the walking dead secret layer stuff uh had like a specific stamp on it that marked it out as being part of universes beyond so it's been kind of like retroactively put into this series. Um, so the thing they... Is, like, I'm not a Magic player, so I don't know a huge amount about about the game beyond like the very basics. But like to me, the thing is with the Walking Dead secret layer, like that was very much... I think there weren't that many cards in that set. It was just like a few... Like, just a, a few cards, really, and they were sort of built to work alongside other Magic decks, and yeah, they weren't well-received, mostly because people like, why? <laughs> Rightfully so, because, like, number one, why The Walking Dead? It's not been, like, very, very big in a long time, as far as I know. But also, like, the Magic The Gathering has a huge universe of its own that has a lot of world-building and lore in it, and it's a big reason why people play Magic. So, like, why are you making these sets based on, like, other universes? Because, like, magic has loads of stuff that could be, like, Lord of the Rings, basically. Uh, or Warhammer. So, it just seems to me that you might as well just make a card game based on Lord of the Rings. Oh, wait, Fantastite already did that. I imagine the answer is money money but... <laughs> i mean the answer is money but like yeah I yeah 
It's, I imagine it, there are some players who will buy almost any Magic the Gathering set, which is fine. But yeah, I imagine... Has there been a backlash to this, Matt, yet? Or uh, I mean, it's as with anything. Some people are kind of like, eh, about it. Some people are not very happy about it. I think part of the problem with the Walking Dead stuff, and I might be misremembering, um, so take this with a pinch of salt, is that those cards were only available in Secret Lair, and they yeah. were new cards. Um, so they weren't just kind of like old cards with Walking Dead artwork. So right. the only way to get them was via that Secret Lair, which kind of messes with the meta because if there are some people who can get cards that other people can't and they happen to be strong um in certain decks from the picture it looks like they're just like generic tokens to be fair yeah i can't remember if they maybe changed them or but i can't remember like say pinch of salt was the walking dead the first secret layer then because i swear the ones before that oh yeah there have been loads of secret layers before but they tend to be just reskinned existing oh. cards yeah, they're with like fancy well. art versions they did like oh, a heavy okay. metal yeah or tattoo like, like i thought yeah. they were new i thought they were entirely new cards but no they're just recent ones but yeah. these these walking dead ones were new i believe so like i say take I it with a pinch of salt and, and look it up because i'm not uh i can't fully remember um for what it's worth they've said that the the upcoming universes beyond stuff will be cards in both will be completely new and playable in all formats but standard um so the same rules as applied to the walking dead um, and they might feature old cards reskinned in future universes beyond releases, similar to um, some of the Secret Lair stuff. So it seems like this will include new cards as well as old cards that just get slightly different art. Uh, it's also worth mentioning that, um, what's it called? Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, which is the upcoming D&D set, uh, will not be counted as part of this. So this is, they're very much kind of um, just breaking off, you know, crossovers that basically aren't owned by Wizards of the Coast. Um, which, in the case of D&D, makes sense because there have been source books that kind of tie those yeah, two. Yeah, so, yeah, like, so yeah. they're a little bit more kind of... Um, Connected. Yeah, uh, by lore and so on. Uh, rather than these kind of things that are just like, I don't know, put a, put a hobbit on a card. <laughs> that'll do. You, my... Hey, you, put, put a hobbit on a card. Yes, my lord. <laughs> uh, my my favourite takeaway from this is the generic, uh, like, press release language that comes, comes attached. Like, we hope that Universes Beyond brings the game that we love to more people who might not have otherwise found us. We hope fans of these worlds and characters will find our game through Universes Beyond. And we hope they'll stay a while and become part of our amazing community. It's mm. just like, okay, yes. <laughs> it feels strange in a way because when Magic first came out, there were so many collectible card games that were just essentially the the gameplay of Magic reskinned. I mean, it's kind of where the likes of Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh yeah. came from, right? It's like they they are mechanically different, but there were plenty of games that were just here's Magic the Gathering, but with popular thing of the time slapped on top. Yeah. So it feels yeah, weird that it's Yu-Gi-Oh, now Magic doing it. It's in come the case, full circle. In the case of Yu-Gi-Oh, it's what wild hairstyles can we whack <laughs> on these cards, baby? <laughs> we just. Be thankful that magic doesn't involve 20 different types of summoning. Um, <laughs> synchro summoning. It hasn't uh, got it hasn't got Karibo in it though. True. W- which which I consider a disadvantage. 
let's move well. <laughs> on. Let's whiz on through. Alex Meehan, tell us oh. the latest of the D&D movie. It's time. <laughs> it's the podcast within a podcast. D&D yeah, yeah. Film Watch. It's D&D Film Watch, everyone. Uh, I'm in the chopper. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hovering over Just... the house of Hugh Grant. <laughs> police have been called. The police have been uh... called multiple times. Uh, yeah, um, the newest news for the D&D film is uh, a Hugh Grant, who you may know, uh, from uh, Four Weddings and Funeral, Paddington 2, About a Boy, I think he was in, right? I yeah. keep getting him mixed up with Colin Firth. Very um, easy to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a charming British person. No. Um, Cast me in your films as a charming British person. Uh, has been cast in, in the role of the villain for the upcoming <gasps> D&D film. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, so that's kind of a little bit exciting considering he was so good in Panting 2, which is his best role. Um, and uh, joining Grant will be Sophia Lillis. I hope that's how you say your name. Uh, who you might know from the It reboot. That was a few years ago. Um, uh, I remember her being really good in it. Um, mm-hmm. We don't know what role uh, uh, Lilith has um, in, in the film. But yeah, uh, Grant is joining Pine, Chris Pine, Michelle Rodriguez, Justice Smith, and the recently announced uh, Reggie Jean Page from Bridgerton. Hmm. It so seems to be, yeah. It's it's, it's quite the cast ever. they're lining up. It's, I mean, yeah, ten maybe like ten years ago, Hugh Grant appearing in a D and D movie would have been quite questionable. But I think after Paddington, it's kind of like okay, like he seems to be game. Yeah, he, and I to be honest, I think trying to bring the same energy as Hugh Grant had in Paddington Two to a D and D film might be exactly what that film needs. If it's yeah. coming at things with that very kind of uh, knowing wink. And it pulls it off. I think that that might work in its favour. But yeah, if they if they, if they try and play it like very straight laced, I think it's not going to work out well. Uh, because uh, kudos to Hugh Grant. He's he's okay. Uh, I think you know he's not really my target market. I guess um, you know, but I think he's he's really good when he's allowed to sort of let loose. Hmm. Um, and if they if they you know make him play a very you know bit of an overtop villain uh, who maybe got some some depth to him, you never know. Uh, I think it would be pretty good. Uh, I'm still a bit um and ahhing about Chris Pine. He's okay. He seems like a good lad, but yeah, I mean. He... Chris Pine wasn't official. I don't think any of these have been officially announced, right? They've all kind of come out of various uh, movie sites uh, doing the reporting, um, Deadline and Hollywood Reporter and so on. Um, but I think Chris Pine being the first name attached to this project as an actor was a little bit deflating. But as time goes on and we're seeing yeah. things like Rodriguez and Smith and, well, Grant Lillis, it it seems to be coming together in kind of a, a slightly more promising way. Yeah. I mean, I guess we'll see, but... Yeah, I mean, look, we all know there's one glaring omission, but... Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we will wait 
I'm sure the story's coming any day, any day now. Loli's just yeah. said me. <laughs> <laughs> We'd well, love to see you in it, Loli's. Uh, yeah, but, we're excited yeah. to announce that Alex Loli's will be appearing in. Yeah, playing, playing the role of Danny yeah. Delito. It's Alex yeah. Lomis. <laughs> I'm too tall. We can sort Fine, that out. Fine, we'll CGI it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> the wonders of technology. Either that, or we just stick two boots. We just we just make you go on your knees and then put boots like under your knees, and then you can just walk around like that. Or we just that make the rest of the cast taller. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. everyone else is on stilts. Exactly. Yeah, we'll figure it all out yeah. in, in the writers' room once once me and me and have been uh, have been hired. Yeah, we've been hired. We're still waiting. Film, which we're still yeah. waiting for that as well. By the way, if you're listening, still uh, waiting for that email. I know it's going to come. Come on. But... If you're listening, Hollywood, Mister <laughs> Hollywood, give us a ring. <laughs> no, that's my father was Mister Hollywood. Please, <laughs> please call me Hollywood. Hollywood. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Wisdom Through, we mentioned this a little bit earlier, so we'll keep this one short. Summon Awards, second edition. Uh, uh, done. No, I'm joking. Yeah, I think, Wills, you kind of mentioned this. Uh, was Summon Awards is a really good game. Plaid Hat have now gone independent. Um, they were previously owned by Asmodee. Mm-hmm. Now um, they are their own company. They're releasing a second edition of the game with brand new art. Um, art looks really good. Uh, it's by the person who did the Crystal Clans, as Mia mentioned. Um, and it's a fantastic game. It's getting a revamp. It's available online as an online digital subscription as well, which is kind of cool. Huh. So considering we can't play it physically right now, you can play it online like a video game. So that's good. Uh, and yeah, look forward to that. <laughs> Great. Free uh, demo, available online. Uh, yeah. Visit dicebreaker.com for, for a link. Wheels, um, they're, they're face-cuddling behind you. They're face-cuddling. They are. Oh, they are. They've put their dis- differences aside. Um <laughs> The differences as two cats. <laughs> uh, a ginger and a white cat and a brown cat. So, you know. Yeah, that's what we call that. We call, we call that brown. All right. Brown. That's what Toto is. He's a brown cat. Bless him. Uh, all right. Uh, next story. A uh, very quick one. Another Kickstarter. Um, did we say that Summoner Wars is releasing in spring? We should say that. Summoner Wars, I think, is out uh, me. And do you remember May. the date? May. That's the one. Thank you. It's in May. And summer. then the digital version's in the summer, right? All August. Time, so, thank you. Uh, Wizarding on through this news. Not rushed at all. We always plan it like this. Um, <laughs> Cole Worley, uh, you know, designer of Root and Pax Premier and other very good games. Uh, he's back. Uh, with, he's uh, back. He's back. with he's another game from prison. <laughs> uh, apparently not satisfied with having the kickstarter for Root's Marauders expansion uh, already up at the moment uh, John Company 2nd edition is hitting a kickstarter March 30th um, for those who don't know because John Company is one of Worley's kind of slightly older games um, it is about British uh, it was about the East India British East India Company sorry it's kind of the rise and fall of it. Uh, it takes a very post-colonial um, approach to it. It is a fascinating game that I've not played, uh, that I am itching to play. Um, and it is coming out through a Whirly Gig, which is the publisher that Cole set up with his brother, um, Drew. Uh, and their previous release being Pax Premier 2nd Edition. So they continue to put out 2nd Edition of Cole Whirly's kind of older historical games. Um, I don't believe they've said so Pax Premier I think had very limited availability after the Kickstarter so it's not like Root where you'll just be able to walk into 
kind of most game shops and, and find it. Um, so I expect this will be this similar. Uh, I believe they've said it will be slightly more expensive than PAX Premier 2nd Edition, which was a very lavish production. Um, it is a PAX Premier 2nd Edition is one of the kind of prettiest games I've ever mm. played, um, but it was also not particularly cheap for that reason, um, and the fact that they're yeah, a small um, company. Looking at the photos, I'm not sure if I would say the same about John Company. It just looks like board card cubes kind of game, you know? <laughs> it, yeah, it's hard to tell because um, kind of the pictures they put out don't show loads, but mm. Paxmere certainly had like a um, cloth. Um, is yeah. it like cloth or burlap kind of like a map? Map. Um, and like slightly chalky in a good way. Um, blocks to <laughs> <Jockey> but good <laughs> well in a way that you know they were very pleasing to just handle um yeah, and john lovely production john company is kind of more um i suppose conventional and it's got a load of cubes and discs and dice um but like i say it's it's a fascinating game i've not played it myself i've read a lot about it um i only hear good things um i think cole has said that this edition similar to pax premier will be um it's quite a substantial kind of revamp of it um, and it's designed to be a lot more accessible for folks who are kind of coming to it fresh um, and also will improve on elements that Worley describes as, quote, half-cooked, um, which for a game that generally I think is like quite critically acclaimed is an interesting, um, yeah, an interesting way of putting it, but it's kind of, he's being quite upfront, I he's guess. He's a perfectionist, about, yeah. I think, yeah. And it's, if, if it's a second edition, it gives you a chance to go back and change things that you would have done differently, right? Yeah, uh, so here's a quote from Cole Worley to kind of give you an idea of what the game's about. Like Premier, John Company is built on a bedrock of post-colonial fort and draws from many scholars. If you've ever wanted to see the work of Edward Said in a board game form, boy, do I have a game for you. <laughs> so I've yeah. definitely thought that more than once. He so is... Thanks, not surprised. Thanks, Cole I'm not surprised. Yes, he's a very clever designer. Um, yeah, no. I, I like the fact that people I, are making games on this sort of subject. Yeah, every time I read a quote from him, I'm like, wow, I am not smart enough, but I like your games all the same. I like the one with the furry cats in, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> please, please, Mr. Worley, I really like your game with the furry cats. <laughs> Is this the game where the first edition came with that horrible open letter? Um, I don't recall. To be honest, I don't think so. So that uh, you're referring to, gosh, what's his name? I've tried yeah, to wipe it from my memory. Not, he's not, not a person. Yeah. But I think that was for the other designers game. I don't believe he contributed to right. John Company. Um, I might be wrong. Don't quote me on it. But I believe uh, that was the other designers game that that relates to. But yes, that will be up on March 30th. All right, let's whiz on through to emails. Email. Uh, <laughs> if you've got an email for the Dicebreaker podcast, you can reach us at podcast at dicebreaker.com. You can find us on Twitter at joindicebreaker. You can find us on the web, dicebreaker.com, or on YouTube, youtube.com slash dicebreaker. Let's open with this um, one from Matt with one T. Uh, Wheels, would you like to read this one, please? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, Matt with one T says, Hi, I recently purchased Chinatown. When I told this to a friend of mine with Chinese heritage, he said he would rather we don't play it on game night because the box art and components make him uncomfortable. I feel guilty for not having noticed the Orientalism in this game as it seems so glaringly obvious now. Is it in bad faith to keep a game I know is culturally insensitive or should I get rid of it in the name of inclusivity? 
I feel that if I was to do the latter, I should also be getting rid of other gains with problematic elements such as the quest for Eldorado, Great Western Trail, and Secret Hitler. It's quite confusing to work out where to draw the line on what is and isn't acceptable enough to own. Uh, best from Matt. We, I think we've cut that email down a tiny bit, but just to just to save us some some space. Yeah, I did try. It was a it was a very good and well worded email. So thank you, Matt. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is a difficult subject. Yeah, um, we're not experts. One... I was going to say, let's yeah. address the elephant in the room, and that we are yeah. for white people. Um, so yeah. we are not the best people to discuss elements of cultural sensitivity. Um, but we can obviously chime in with what what little we can chime in with. Um, but obviously, go to um, much like your friend in this case, the people that know best that are affected directly by that stuff. They are mm-hmm. always the best people to listen to on this first. Um, but I think in this case, you know, if it's making a friend uncomfortable, that's that's kind of an obvious thing for let's not play that anymore. Let's yeah. let's get rid of it. Um, th- I think with there are some that are very clear cut and are you know you look at them and they are very clearly insensitive and um, like uh, regardless of your background or personal connection uh, to the elements depicted. Um, I think with other games. Um, and I might be speaking out to her, but I think Secret Hitler is obviously one where the theming of it around Hitler and the Nazi Party's rise to power is one that can make people uncomfortable. Um, and so there are games where that line may not be as clear cut. It may be a case of personal comfortability, but obviously. I mean, um, yeah, the, the difficulty with Secret Hitler, and I'm sure Lowly's is also aware of this because you're, you're, you've played that game quite a bit, mm-hmm. uh, haven't you? I'm pretty sure that game was created as a tool to sort of inform people about, you know, how democracy can be used as like a tool to, you know, install a fascist, you know, government. Again, this is I'm pretty sure that's taken from the website that Secret Hitler you can you can get that from. Uh, again, I'm not an expert on on German history or cultural sensitivity or anything, but. Um, yeah, I think it, again, it, it would potentially depend on who you play with, with with particular games like that, like with your friend. But um, maybe maybe look into like the origins of these games, the people who made them, and like what people were saying about them. Particularly those people who, you know, would find them culturally insensitive. Like, yeah, it's a bit difficult with tabletop games because mm. a lot there. Are, for example, there are so many games made about imperialist topics mm. like trading uh like there's a lot of game set where you are going to south america and and trading like taking resources from there and trading them and you're clearly like you know white europeans or or white north americans or you know things like that so yeah tabletop gaming has a long history of having board games based on subjects that are culturally, yeah, yeah, not, not great. Not great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or having creators <laughs> making a game about a culture that they have like, to do with. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't come from, haven't gone to, you know, sensitivity writers or like people who would be more aware of, of that culture. And hopefully it feels like maybe things are changing a bit now, but um sorry i feel like i interrupted you matt but no no i think like you've you've kind of captured the point there it's like i 
because I certainly know there are some people who take um, issue of ignorant games, you know, like war games depicting World War Two yeah. or World War One, um, real life conflicts in which you know millions of people suffered um, across the world, and they are, you know, that suffering and experiences reduced to a load of tokens on a board or some dice rolls. Mm. Um, but there are also war games out there that do aim for simulation rather than, I suppose, like in very loose, broad terms, entertainment. Um, mm. You know, there are serious war games that look to examine the reasons why those wars happened, why things within those wars happened, the experiences of people within those wars. Um, a game like The Grizzled, for instance, is a game about yeah. war, but it looks at kind of the personal experiences of those involved, and I believe uh, was created by those with kind of, um, if not first-hand, but uh, relatively intimate um knowledge and, and connection to the siege of sarajevo so there are there are games that can be about those things and it comes down to the way those things are handled but i think in the case of something like this where it's your friend telling you that they are uncomfortable with something at the that's end of the day sign, yeah. that's that's yeah. the reason to that's, get yeah. rid of that game you know yeah. that's yeah there's no I, kind of back and forth about that i think it's worth saying like if you're if you're listening to this um and sort of realizing maybe you're looking at your board game shop you're like oh yeah i you know i hadn't really thought about it kind of thing um, if someone comes to you uh, about that and your immediate reaction is, oh, of course, like, I don't think anyone's going to say that you're, you're doing anything wrong in that in that regard. Like, the fact that you own the game isn't necessarily an yeah. indictment against mm. you. It's, it's more, it's how you react to, to someone being uncomfortable about it and someone saying, hey, I'm not sure I want to play this game. If at which point you're you're open to that and say, okay, fine, you know, maybe I'll even get rid of it. Like you're you're clearly taking steps in the right direction. You're clearly making sure that people are feeling comfortable, and that's the most important thing to take away from that. I think. Yeah. Um. So I'm, yeah. I don't know, thank you for the question. That's all. Unfortunately, there are too many people out there in the tabletop community who have the reaction to these sort of discussions as like, it's just a game. I don't know what your mm. problem is. Why can't you just play it and ignore the theme? And it's kind of like, well. Pfft, I kind of feel like if you can say that, maybe you're in a position where it's very easy for you to to ignore the theme because it maybe doesn't apply to mm. your life and you. And also, it's very it is important to consider themes and you know like certain aspects of of games that either haven't aged well or are being made today. And you're kind of sat there going, maybe that's in poor taste. Um, but hopefully by having those discussions it encourages publishers and designers to kind of reconsider maybe some of their creative decisions and yeah uh, i mean re reach out to those publishers as well yeah like it's um it's often the case if you if you if you have a copy of i think you said eldorado there um uh quest for eldorado and you're like i'm not sure that the art in this is is really okay anymore um, maybe pop them an email and, and make those concerns heard mm. because you know it's it's the kind of thing that um, as as we we've, we've talked about two second editions that are coming out like these games don't necessarily get published and then they just exist like that all the time a lot of the time these games are updated they have new artists come in new uh, new perspectives um, a lot of some of the stuff that was a little bit iffy about previous versions because that can yeah. then be looked at and readdressed and I mean, fixed that, and things. So. That's happening with Great Western Trail, right? The mm. the new edition is directly, um, is it? It's altering those elements of um, uh, the Native American kind of aspects of the original edition. Yeah, right? I believe that's right. So um, 
they're obviously paying attention, like publishers mm. and designers are paying attention to people having these discussions. Like that's why they're making those changes. Um, so yeah. Yeah. It's worth saying as well, there are so many games out there now that share mechanics where if there is a game that has problematic thematic elements, because generally m- mechanically things, they're quite dry. Like yeah. many yeah. mechanics can be applied to almost any theme. There's, it's likely there'll be another game that doesn't have those elements. If it's not the exact same game, there will be probably elements of the thing that you do enjoy in it, yeah. where you can then find another game that everyone feels comfortable playing. Mm. Yeah, and if you if you're listening to this and you've heard this and it's not something you really thought about, take it as the as an excuse to you know Look revisit some of the games yeah. that you've been playing a long time and, and think about you know would you feel comfortable playing this yeah. with someone who shares heritage with the people that are being depicted on the box kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for the question. Yeah, thank yeah. you. And to reiterate, listen, you know, we are yeah. speaking for that, but obviously listen to those who know best first. You know, seek out their voices, like listen to them and, and use that to kind of further your own learning and and action. Mm-hmm. Uh Lolies, would you like to read this one from Vivek, please? Vivek Santayana asks, Who are some of your favorite community creators making third party content for your favorite games? Stuff like maps, music, art, or adventures. I got nothing. Take it away. I got nothing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, I will say, um, I'm going to get the uh, actual name because I always just see the username on Twitter. Um, <laughs> but, uh, oh, and it's not on Twitter. That's fine. Uh, Mustang. Yeah. Um, the dislocating GM, mm, combat wheelchair designer. Oh, Sarah cool. Thompson. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, Sarah Thompson, thank you. Um, yeah. Has been doing uh, incredible work um, and is like constantly like improving our um, uh, like view of how disabled people play games and like how they want to be represented and stuff like that. Uh, the combat wheelchair is something that's very popular, but they also um, do a lot of work for, for example, um, Artel Saurian on things like Cyberpunk and The Witcher RPG and stuff like that. Um, I think they also reached out recently to the person writing the Witcher TV show and sort of like gave them a new perspective on how uh, like Geralt's injuries actually um, kind of uh, speak more to disability than they do to just sort of like a generic injury and stuff like that. So like a, a lot of really, really cool stuff coming out of out of their uh, mm-hmm. their workouts. And, and yeah, that's been really cool to see. So that's, that's definitely one that deserves a, a mention, I think. Yeah. Mm. I can't think of anyone specifically um uh because this kind of information stuff that i sometimes keep a directory in my head <laughs> but um i do remember when um when tasha's cauldron of everything came out and people were like hey uh, this doesn't deal with the whole dnd race problem that well because you're sort of just dodging around it um there were a lot of people responding to that and basically uh, pointing people towards uh, uh, you know people of colour who have made like their own sort of uh, character creation methods uh, for for D&D and basically said hey these people who are not part of the Wizards of the Coast have done like a much better job uh, of you know providing uh, an alternative uh, to, to what D&D kind of goes for um, we do have a, a news piece on our website uh, about that reaction and you know there were people involved like Graham Barber um, 
who has uh, a blog uh, where you know he's talked about hey Tasha's called an error and doesn't do a great job uh, and like there were several other people involved in that discussion who were kind of saying hey go and you know these people have done have have done this for free basically uh, so yeah probably a lot I would recommend it researching a lot of uh, the creators you know who have done that sort of thing who have made like character creation that isn't racist <laughs> yeah yeah I think for my part um, probably because of this job I don't often get to stay with games long enough where I mm. am so invested that I need third party content which is a shame because there's a lot of really great stuff out there um, but it just happens to be that you know I'm moving between games relatively quickly mm. but I think I'll, I'll take this opportunity to just shout out itch as a really good platform um, yeah. for a yeah. lot of that stuff both complete games but also there's so much on there that is just incredible kind of work whether it's maps or like papercraft minifigures or you know modules and adventures and that can be applied in a lot of cases to almost any game um, and it's a very indie friendly platform um, there's a lot of creativity there are often bundles that are themed around certain kind of topics whether it's kind of you know here's a load of fantasy stuff or here's kind of like um yeah like accessories for for games rather than games themselves so i think itch is is a really good platform for that stuff and uh seems to do a better job of supporting smaller creators um than websites such as drive for rpg um, yeah. to my knowledge uh well speaking of drive for rpg uh just as a, a quick shout as well for an rpg that we talk about a lot which is plays in the dark um, there's a lot of like uh, like third party stuff that's been made for Blades that you can find on the website I think which is quite cool so there's like the sleuth which I think is like an extra character that you, uh, archetype that you can play with and stuff like that um, one thing that I've used myself though um, from Old Dog Games it says here on Drive Through RPG is like a detailed street map pack so uh, Blades in the Dark comes with like a sort of um, a map of Dustfall the city that you play in but this goes into the minutia, so every single little street has a name, like everything like that. So it, you also can like break out each district into its own map and provide that to your players. So it's like a really, really like thematic and super detailed thing that you can use if you're sort of like looking around the city. Um, to put on top of that as well, there is a, a person called Ryan Dunleavy who has a Patreon, um, and I think a, pretty much every month or so they post uh, map packs of all kinds of little. Um, like tiny chunks of dustfall so you've got like you know here's a tower here's like a uh, a ship that you can that you can heist all that kind of stuff super detailed like D D maps style if you're into that kind of thing like if you use miniatures all that kind of stuff um and you can sort of like subscribe to that patreon and i think it's like eight quid a month or four quid a month you get like a like high res city map and stuff like that which is really cool so Move a little bit, <laughs> and I'm going to shove some links in the uh, doc so that Matt can <laughs> put them in. Thank you. Uh, we'll take one last quick one. Me and could you read this one from Eva Brennan, please? Oh. Eva says, "Do you have any advice for a first-time DM having to plan a campaign that's going to be played over Zoom? Any tools outside of D&D Beyond?" Uh, yeah, I would say. And again, like, I'm not an expert on Discord. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> if you say again, a lot that, of things. That, that was from a call that we had this morning. Yeah. <laughs> no, I say it again in terms of, like, I've said previously, I'm not an expert on this. Um, <laughs> all right. There, so with a Discord server, you can use a bot. I think it's called Groovy Bot, and we use it um, when we play. Uh, so we play, you know, RPGs over over Discord, so not Zoom specifically. But um, with Groovy Bot, you can get uh, you can basically get it to play music for you, for everyone within the server that you're in simultaneously. Mm. Which yeah, means, it's really good. yeah, which means that whenever you're in a particular part of the campaign. Like whether it's like intense or whether it's a bit quieter, or, or if you want to create a certain um, atmosphere, then you can ensure that all your players are hearing the same track at the same time. And I think music does a lot to immerse immerse people in the moment. Like it feels it fills those quiet gaps where no one's talking, and it kind of feels a bit awkward. And I think it encourages people to role play a bit more. Uh, it just it does wonders I think uh, having a soundtrack to your campaign so that's what I would recommend as a tool to you we have um, so I have like a server of like a just little friend server on discord that I'm in with my mates uh, and for whatever reason they rename everyone who joins the server to brother and then their name um, so we renamed the music brought to brother bass <laughs> <laughs> which is a fun little stupid tidbit from my life <laughs> I think we we get this question quite a quite a lot, um, but it always bears repeating because it's a lot of people are, are playing D and D over video call at the moment. Um, we have a whole guide on the website if you want to head over to the website. But here, I think it's worth just the main thing is don't overplan as with any RPG campaign because it will never go the way you expect, and you don't want to pour a load of time and energy into something that then doesn't pan out. You know, have rough notes and reference material, but don't try and plot everything down to exactly what's going to happen um, and particularly over video call when you're just playing with friends just allow for those like means right that music helps with them but allow for those little moments of people thinking or people you know there'll be a delay from the video anyway probably even if it's just a half second or so things will be a little bit awkward you know don't expect it to be the same as being there in person but if you can uh, allow for that and just give people that extra um, leeway to you know just think for a moment or maybe you know be be quiet or whatever it may be over yeah. video call that's the thing it's like don't expect the same as an in-person experience um, but you can certainly make it work for you if you're just you know you just let everyone know that you're comfortable with like you don't have to react immediately you don't have to be on camera if you don't want to you can just be audio it, mm. it's just so making it as as comfortable as possible being on camera does help in terms of yeah. making sure that people don't talk over each other, which yeah. is to, which mm. uh, doesn't help with this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Will's also imagining you having a soundboard during a D and D campaign, and everyone's just quiet because someone's just thinking of what to do, and then you just like go like wazzle, like like singer wazzle. <laughs> <laughs> What's Wazzo? Well, is this on a soundboard or is this Will's himself? Yeah, this is the soundboard that Will's has. That's like it. a That's slide new whistle. Catchphrase, Wazzo. Yeah, Wazzo. You heard it here you first. Heard it here first folks. You'll get the merch coming soon. Wazzo. Get Wazzo on a t shirt. <sighs> Alright, uh, Lolis, anything on. 
me a sec. No, I've yet to do my. <laughs> I, I've got nothing. I'm so like. Oh, that's alright. So bad with um being able to help like first time DMs because I'm not even a first time DM. Um, and yeah, me and me. I mean, I know about Guru, but um, I I think I, no, got nothing. Sound roll twenty's good. Race free. Yeah, roll twenty's alright. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there's loads of little tools online. Give it a Google. Um, mm. Uh, but please keep listening to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the thing of, you know, if if Roll20 is what you want for your group, like if you are using a lot of miniatures, it can be good for that. If people just prefer, even if you're currently using or you did use miniatures in the before times um, when you were playing in person, you know, it might be that you decide that actually just a video call is fine and you don't want to overcomplicate it. That's the thing. It's like, just be just be flexible. It's the main yeah. kind of underline here. I is mean, don't expect you, it to be the, the same experience. If you want to be really fancy, you could always, like, have an extra camera set up and, like, have a full-on grid map, like, and yeah. have miniatures representing each of the, like, players and just do it that way if you really want to, like, do you know use a map and miniatures but don't want to deal That's with true. the clunkiness mm. of of you know potential clunkiness of digital versions or like tabletop simulator also has like the mm. you know tools for you to to build that yeah it's possible right. it is possible everything but, yeah, is possible be <laughs> like basically just be kind yourselves don't don't expect to go in and have everything be exactly the same um, <laughs> if you've run before You've lost a Feels You've like lost that's them. about time for the podcast yeah. to end, doesn't it? Uh, before we close out, thank you We've for your title now. Thank you for your emails. Uh, thank you for writing in. Again, you can reach us at podcast at dicebreaker.com if you do have a question for us. Um, before we leave you, uh, Wills and Lolies from the video side, what have we got coming up or what will oh. already be up by the time folks listen to this? Well. Well. <laughs> well, 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 well. Man, you're definitely not filling in time. I'm so glad you asked, Matt Jarvis, whom <laughs> I love and adore. <laughs> it would be so heartwarming if it didn't just feel like you're buying time. <laughs> well, as we said on this very podcast, um, the sort of two days before this goes live, we will have put out a "You've Never Played Lost Cities" video with me and Matt. Feet, Matt. So if you want to, mm. yeah. If you want to see me trouncing. Yeah, don't watch till the first. Just watch the first two rounds and then close the video. It's fine. We're happy with that. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> um, watch it three times. We are also, Alex Lodies, we're doing a very special stream. Oh right, okay. Sorry, oh, I thought you were talking about will, Saturday. We'll have done. We will have done we'll have a very done. special caption contest stream, won't we? Michael Wheels mm -hmm. Whelan. Yeah. Pretty exciting. I threw it over to you, but thank you for throwing it directly back. <laughs> we're doing we're doing a little a little hosting tennis match here. Um, but yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna be drawing stupid pictures, and it's up to you in the chat to to do the captions. Hopefully, uh, except it would have already happened. So go and enjoy that. Um, see some of the stupid. Do you know what you can enjoy got. in the future, though? Yes, this is uh -huh. very exciting. Tomorrow, aka Saturday, <gasps> the sixth of March. Dungeon Breaker Return! Oh, oh my goodness! That's, That's right. <laughs> That's right. Dungeon Breaker's back. And then the day after that, you can see me and Johnny play the original version of Summoner Wars, uh, as a you've never played. I didn't get to play any maybe, games this week. <laughs> well, maybe me and Lolis will be playing uh, the new version via digital on the week after. So have a little look out for that as well. Yeah. Also, on the 9th of March, it's my birthday. So, oh, oh my gosh. Happy birthday, it's, Will. It's Honey's birthday on the 10th. 
I know. I remember I was like, I'm not getting up stage by a cat. <laughs> <laughs> And I believe you you'll be doing a painting stream next mm. Thursday as well. Yes. We yeah. will. Yes. You so will. Tune not. in for that. Yeah, you will. It will happen. <laughs> you know what? Maybe me and an I will swing by. Yeah, I'll pop in for like two seconds and go, what's up? And then like, what's what's up? What's up? <laughs> Yeah, your famous catchphrase that everyone expects. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get some of that audience laughter to play. Yeah, like yeah, a yeah, second yeah. afterwards, right. and the clapping as you kind of yeah, come yeah. on. They love it. They can't get enough of it. Featuring uh, Wazzo the Wamprat himself. <laughs> uh, that me? Meanwhile, anyway, on the website, uh, we uh, will have potentially maybe this week, maybe next. Uh, it's been a busy couple of weeks in Dicebreaker Land. Uh, Alex, me, and you mentioned last week, I think, on the podcast, playing Chroma. Yeah. Um, and at some point, we may have a write-up of that, or you'll be doing something with that because you've yeah, taken I'll a look at it. Yeah, I'll be doing something. You know it, me; I'll be doing something. Expect some kind of look at Chroma, um, which sounds interesting. Um, which is like the it's like a tile placement, color changing game, right? It's like yeah. big old big old light, little color big pieces. Big old light. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tile placing color <laughs> <laughs> Uh We are already up on the site as of today, uh, which is. Wednesday, I'm losing track of time. Um, we have Amy Proudman writing on gender identity and D and D, which is a very oh, good piece. Yeah. Would recommend you go and read it. Uh, we already have Charlie Phil, who's rounded up the best World War Two games. Um, we had last week, but it missed the podcast because it went up afterwards. Uh, Chase spoke to the folks behind the Avatar: The Last Airbender RPG um, and squeezed some new information out yeah. about it, including it's brutal. the fact. It's been set across the five five different playable periods um, in the Avatar-verse uh, and how bending will work, which is exciting yeah. for those of us that really like Avatar and Korra, which is yeah. probably me on this podcast, but yeah. it should be all of us. Well, come on, don't judge. Um, what <laughs> no, else? It's a really good show. What else Apart went out? Uh, series of Korra. <laughs> what else? Went out last week, Mr. Jarvis. Uh, your review of Overboss is what I assume you're referring to. There was something else as well, wasn't there? There was something Jarvis? else. Oh, is this the D&D movie thing? Yeah. Okay. You, <laughs> look, you there's like... so much good stuff that sometimes <laughs> it's a long list of getting through to it. Yes, if, if you like if, hearing about the D&D <laughs> film, which you must do if you listen to this podcast. You've come this far. Um, yeah, I did a list of what the new film should do in order to be good. Um mm. Uh, uh, not on that list is Danny DeVito, unfortunately. I just sorry, yeah. Danny. He's in spirit. There. Yeah, I mean, Danny DeVito is in the spirit of everything we do, really, to some degree. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yes, there'll be lots more coming up. We'll have lots more on both YouTube.com/slash/dicebreaker and Dicebreaker.com. Um, but until we meet again, thank you for being here, uh, Wheels. I was thinking of a variation of your name. I've just gone with plain old Wheels this time. Thanks, Wheels. It's me, plain old Wheels. Thanks for having me. Hot Wheels. Hot, Hot Wheels himself. Weichel Wheels. Wheel. No. Hot birthday what? Wheels. Weichel um, Meals. Weichel Meals Meeland. Sure. Uh, thanks for being. <laughs> Thank you for being here, Alex Meehan. What a. What a. No, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, Alex Lolis. Thank you us. for having me. I'll try and be normal in my outro. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been Matt Jarvis. Thank you for listening. Stay safe out there. We will be back next Friday with another Dicebreaker podcast. But still then, until then, even messed it up on the last sentence. It's fine. Until then, have 
a lovely day. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs>